Hello, we're Muckal LLP, a highly successful full-service commercial law firm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. We support businesses, organisations and individuals all over the UK and beyond. And with this podcast series, we share business insight and practical tips to help you with the full spectrum of commercial law. Hello, and welcome to another Legal Spectrum podcast. My name's Robin Adams, and I'm a partner in the commercial team here at Muckle. I'm joined today by my colleague, Solicitor Luke Donnelly. Hi, Luke. Hello. And Luke... This is a special episode today because it's the first of a mini series of podcasts we're going to be doing all about Brexit. As the end of the transitional period approaches, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there about how it's going to impact business. So we wanted to help clear things up and hopefully answer a few of the questions businesses might have at the moment. We're going to begin by looking at the key concepts of Brexit and explore what they actually mean for businesses in practice. So Luke, can we begin? by talking through what it is that EU membership gives us and what do we perhaps take for granted currently in our dealings with the other member states? Yeah, so effectively we're still inside the EU. Um, We're no longer a member state, but until the 31st of December 2020, um, we're in this transition period. Um, And uh, so life for businesses will continue to look until then until uh, in the way that it has for the last uh, few decades. so that means we're still in the structures and still abiding by the rules of the EU. So that includes things like the single market and the customs union. Um, and that means we've got the benefit of free trade with EU countries. So uh, no tariffs between countries, very few checks at the borders on goods, um, no friction. And, and that really is one of the big benefits of being in the EU. So um, right now, from a legal perspective, it's pretty much as easy to trade with uh, a company in Germany as it is to trade with a company in in Cumbria. Um, that new this new relationship that we're going to have when we leave the EU is is a radical departure. Um, whether we get uh, a deal with the EU or not, it will look very very different for most businesses, uh, and, and most businesses won't remember a time when they haven't really been trading with the EU uh, in these in these terms. Um, so it'll be a culture shock um, and, and that'll especially be the case for uh, businesses that haven't traded outside the EU before. Of course, some businesses will have traded with the US, they'll have traded with China, they'll have traded with India. And so a lot of these concepts might be more familiar familiar to them. Um, as well as leaving these structures, as well as not having the benefits of, of this frictionless trade with our, with our closest trading partners geographically, um, we can also trade through free trade agreements that the EU has agreed with any number of other countries on really preferential terms. So, for example, um, the EU has a trade deal um, called CETA with Canada, which is the Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement. Um, There's an EU-Japan trade agreement. There's an economic partnership with the Caribbean. There's the SADC, which is an economic partnership between the EU and Southern African states. Um, There's uh, Euromed, which is between um, EU and various countries around the Mediterranean. Um, and all of these agreements are there to reduce friction between EU member states and uh, those what we call third countries. We lose the benefits of those because we can only access those agreements if we are in the EU and of course we're leaving. Um, 
all of this will have to be replicated by the UK when it leaves, which the UK is having a big effort to do at the minute. But really, um, what's important to know for businesses is that um, the UK is part of a structure that's intended to regulate trade, to remove barriers to trade, and to reduce protectionism. And in its simplest form, that's the economic that we get, the economic benefit that we get from being in the EU, and that's the economic benefit that we're going to lose when we leave. Thanks, Luke. But how does this all actually work in practice? What is it that is actually changing at the end of December this year? Yeah, so to understand what EU membership involves, at least in terms of the commercial and economic benefits of um, being in the EU, we really need to understand two concepts, and they're the single market and the customs union. So to begin with the single market, it's essentially a group of countries that have come together and decided to have no internal borders or regulatory obstacles to the free movement of goods and services, capital and people. So we call that the, the four freedoms. Now, we're going to think about the free movement of people in a later podcast. Um, but what I want to concentrate on now really is uh, the free movement of goods. And obviously, there are free movement of services as well, which would be part to quite a few clients. But that's less well developed. When people think about free movement, they tend to think about free movement of people and goods. And we'll have a think about goods here. So really, there are, there are two points um, to, to the single market. It's about removing barriers to trade and it's about harmonizing national rules. So let's think about removing barriers to trade to begin with. So, um, Robin, I'm going to take you back to law school here. Um, I appreciate it's a little while ago for you, probably is for me now as well. But I want to talk to you a case, uh, quite a famous EU case called Cassis de Dijon, um, which is um, terrible pronunciation. My French is awful. Uh, but it's about um, uh, 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 some French producers of a, a fruit liqueur um, of alcohol content of about 15 to 20%. Now, German law uh, several years ago basically said that fruit liqueurs had to have a fruit content of at least 25%. And so what was happening was French producers were trying to export their um, cassis into the German market and they were being prevented to do so because they didn't meet the right alcohol standard. Um, and so the effect was that they were banned from, from the German market. Um, now, the German rule was found to be contrary to EU law and had to be removed. It basically put up a barrier to the free movement of goods across that border. Um, and so what essentially happened was um, the EU said that the, the uh, German law had to be uh, unpicked um, and um, allowed French producers to, to uh, export their goods into, into the German market. And that's an example of something called negative integration. So it's about removing national laws that prevented um, the free movement of goods. Um, uh, really, there's a, 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 another way of doing this, and that's positive integration. So that's making sure that uh, all countries have um, standards that are the same. So if you produce something in the UK and it is found to be consistent with uh, EU law, then it's found to be consistent with EU law in every country. You don't have to get your products recertified all over. And um, so you can see how that would help with the free movement of goods across borders. It means that every time you produce a good, you want to move it into a new market within the EU, you don't have to worry about getting your product tested everywhere that it goes. And there's lots of examples of the EU legislating to um, impose product standards uh, in this way so that the net effect is that if you're a UK producer of, say, computer equipment or alcoholic drinks or car parts, basically any goods, you know that if you comply with the EU standard, you can export your product throughout the EU. And so that's an example of removing uh, 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 non-tariff barriers. 
So that's the single market, Luke. But how does the customs union fit into all of that? Yeah. So the customs union is all about removing tariffs um, between members and imposing tariffs on non-members. So EU countries don't apply to tariffs to each other's goods. So if you want to move your goods from the UK to Ireland or Ireland to France or France to Germany, um, you won't face a tariff at the border. Um, EU countries will apply a tariff outside of the EU. So if you want to export goods from, say, India into any EU country, something called the Common External Tariff will be applied. Uh, uh, that is if there isn't a free trade agreement in place, which we'll, we'll discuss in a minute. So that means that an importer in the UK or an importer in Belgium has to pay the same tariff um, applied to the same goods brought in from outside the EU. So, for example, there's something like a 32% tariff on dairy products, a 10% on the import of car parts. So if you if you are uh, manufacturing cars in the UK and you want to um, bring uh, car parts in from Italy, um, there'll be no tariff on it. But if you want to manufacture cars in the UK and you want to bring a part in from the US, there'll be a 10% um, tariff on that part. And similarly, if you're in Italy and you want to bring a car part in from the US, they pay the same tariff as does a company operating in Germany or Denmark or Sweden. So it's the same across the EU. Of course, the more important the market is in the EU, the greater the tariff um, under the common external tariff, um, which is there to sort of protect particularly sensitive EU industries. Um, but there are very low tariffs or no tariffs at all where the EU needs something it doesn't produce itself. So, for example, um, there's no tariff on something like cotton because obviously there's no EU cotton producers. So putting this together, the UK importer and the Belgian importer we discussed earlier would both pay the same tariff on the imported goods from the third country to get it into the EU. But once it's incorporated into the products made by the UK producer or the Belgian producer, those products can move freely around the EU without collecting further tariffs. So uh, imagine a UK producer um, of a car brings a part in from the US, incorporates it in its car, and then exports the car to another EU country. Um, the tariff's already paid and it can move freely within, within the EU. And that's essentially how the, uh, the customs union is intended to work. So at the moment, we have the benefit of the membership of the single market and the benefit of being within the customs union. But do those things come to an end at the end of the transitional period? Yes, yes, they will. Um, and, and this was something that was uh, heavily discussed, uh, particularly under Theresa May's deal. If you can remember that far back, um, there was this suggestion that we would be members of a customs union or a de facto customs union uh, and would have very, very close, close relationship um, uh, and, and also a, a deal which looked quite a lot like the single market. That's been got rid of um, for all sorts of political uh, reasons. Um, basically, uh, a feeling, I think, that um, the UK needs to be free to strike its own trade deals, which is very difficult if, say, for example, you um, have to have the same uh, tariffs as other EU countries. If you had to re remain in the customs union, you'd have to continue to charge the common external tariff because everybody would have to pay the same otherwise UK producers would be at at an advantage um, over their, their EU counterparts um, but obviously we are leaving the uh, single market and the customs union and um, in the absence of a, a free trade deal with the EU that means we're going to uh, be trading on what they call world trade organization terms so 
basically these are a set of rules that apply between countries where there's no formal agreement such as a free trade agreement in place it, obviously we're trying to get a free trade agreement with the eu but but at, at the time this podcast has been recorded um we don't know whether that's going to happen so if we do end up on world trade organization rules well you need to think about that as sort of the lowest common denominator really countries sign free trade agreements because they don't want to trade on wto terms now we'll look more at the idea of wto terms in a later podcast but briefly they are a set of rules that govern govern trade uh, and the most important rule for the purposes of this podcast is something called the most favored nation principle so this just means that um, if you extend an advantage to one wto member um, you have to give the same advantage to all wto members unless you have a free trade agreement with them so if the uk um, left the eu with no deal um, say for example uh, it tried to cut its imports um or, or the the, the um, tariff on steel imports from the us to not percent so you're trying to extend an advantage to us importers uh, us exporters and um, if the uk decided to do that then in the absence of a trade deal with the us you're just trading uh, on normal terms under wta rules with the us the, U the uk would have to extend that same advantage to all wto members so that in that scenario it would have to reduce its tariff on steel to naught percent for all wto members if it signed a trade deal with the us then it could do what it wanted and it wouldn't need to extend that advantage to all the other members so basically it, what the wto rules do is they extend this principle of trade without discrimination um, and it means that every time you lower a trade barrier with a country uh, that's a WTO member, you have to do that for all of the WTO members uh, unless you've done it through a free trade agreement. So if we wanted to avoid having to trade on WTO terms and deal with all those issues that you've just outlined, the answer would be to have a free trade deal with the EU. What do we think that free trade deal with the EU um, might look like um, as far as we can tell given that uh, it's still currently under negotiation yeah um well i guess let's have a chat about what a free trade agreement is to begin with because it's a pretty it's a pretty key concept and it, again it's something that um people will hear an awful lot of talk about um partly because actually um from a political point of view um uh, one of the reasons many many people um uh, wanted to have Brexit is so they could trade more freely with nations outside the EU. So uh, a free trade agreement um, is basically an agreement between countries to remove re remove ta tariffs and other restrictions on trade. Um, and in that sense, it looks a little bit like the customs union we talked about earlier. The difference is that there's something called rules of origin. So um, this is a, a, an example of the sort of inherent extra level of bureaucracy that you get in a free trade agreement so so rules of origin are a set of rules which state that a particular good coming in from a country that has the benefit of a free trade agreement must actually come from that country um, so for example um, if we look at the uh, free trade agreement between the eu and south korea which we have at the minute um, a hyundai or a kia uh, car that comes in must be 55% made in Korea to qualify for tariff-free access. I should say at that point, other makes of Korean car are available. Um, but the point is, if 
um, the Korean company decided to produce all its parts in China, ship them over the border into Korea, um, and then just assemble them in Korea, then in no real way is that car a Korean car. It's certainly not 55% of a Korean car. And, and that would be a way of um, manufacturing goods at much cheaper rates and then getting them into the EU piggybacking on a free trade agreement and that's what rules of origin are designed to uh, to stop uh, so it's anyone's guess what a, a, an EU UK free trade agreement would look like uh, but what we can say is it'll be what you've maybe you've heard referred to as a skinny deal which means uh, no um, no single market no customs union um, the UK has said that it doesn't want to have to comply too closely with EU product standards it wants to be able to set its own product standards um, and, and so this means that we'll have a much less deep relationship uh, with the EU uh, from January the 1st if we get a deal. Uh, and obviously, if we don't get a deal, then, as we've discussed, um, we will be on a World Trade Organization terms. But doesn't the UK have its own free trade agreements already? Well, yes and no. Um, so at the minute, um, it, it doesn't have the benefit of its own free trade agreement. So to explain, essentially, as uh, de facto members of the EU, um, we have the benefit, as we, as we described earlier, of the EU's agreements with uh, foreign countries. So for example, we just discussed the UK, South Korea agreement. We want to export things to South Korea from here or import things from South Korea. We do it through the EU's agreement, but it is the EU's agreement. And the EU is the only party here that can actually negotiate and sign a free trade agreement. And that is because the EU can't have its member states going off on a frolic, uh, signing their own agreements um, and basically changing changing the rules and changing the commercial relationship. So the EU couldn't let um, Italy go off and sign a trade agreement with China in which it negotiated its own tariffs because then that would break the integrity of the common the common external tariff and the, and, and the customs union. And um, when we leave the EU, we lose the benefit of all of their free trade agreements so we can no longer use them. Um, we will therefore be trying to sign our own. So the UK has done a lot of work around this and it has actually um, started to sign free trade agreements with other parties, um, but they won't come into being until um, the 1st of January. Because some commentators have talked about whether or not we could just continue with the EU's current free trade agreements, but in our own name. Uh, so essentially uh, copying and pasting the text into a new free trade agreement between the UK and the relevant country. Is it is it that easy or is there a bit more to it? Yeah, I mean, as, as you'd probably expect, there's a bit more to it. And, and, and you're right, there's, there's been a lot of talk about what they call just rolling our trade deals, deals over. Um, but to give one example of why that's not as easy as you might hope it would be, we discuss the rules of origin. So say we have a free trade agreement which says 55% of a product must be made in the EU um, to have the benefit of tariff-free trade into a new market. Well, that's easy. There are 27 member states of the EU, so you could get car parts from Italy, Germany, Spain, and France, um, big market to source them from, um, and you could still say that 55% of your vehicle designed and built in the U is designed and built in the UK. It originates from the UK. Obviously, when we leave the EU, that becomes much more difficult because then if you're saying, well, 
I want to roll the benefit of that free trade agreement over. The free trade agreement says 55% has got to be made in the EU. We'll have to change that to being 55% is made in the UK. That's much more difficult because obviously the UK is a much more, uh, a much smaller market than all of the EU. And so it becomes much harder to source all your parts in one place. And it's one reason why you can't just simply take one agreement that you've got in place and roll it over. There are things that the trade negotiations trade negotiators might try and do so they might try and say well can we say 55 percent of our car is made in the uk or the eu and sort of triangulate in that way but then the party on the other side so say we've discussed south korea they might say yeah sure uk no problem at all you can do that provided 55 percent of our hyundai's and kias are made in south korea or china and they've just got themselves a massive competitive advantage against us. And so th- th- that's just an example of the sorts of difficulties that our trade negotiations are facing. And, and remember as well um, that we have no experience of, of signing trade agreements because the EU have done it all for us for the last sort of three or four decades. So um, it, it, it's a particularly difficult position the UK finds itself in. Thanks, Luke. I just want to draw things to a close. We've looked at the current arrangement with the EU in terms of the customs union and single market, as well as shedding, hopefully, some light on the undoubtedly complex area of WTO rules and some of the challenges anyone will face in negotiating the free trade deal. The key thing is that without a trade deal with the EU, we'll lose the benefit of the customs union and single market from 1st January 2021. And even with a free trade deal with the EU, those arrangements are not necessarily going to continue to apply in the way they do now. And that's a real issue for businesses that export or import from the EU. If you do have any questions about anything we've covered in this session, do please feel free to get in touch. We'd be very pleased to hear from you. And we do hope you can listen to the next podcast in this series. All that remains is for me to thank Luke for his comments. Thank you, Luke. No problem. Thank you. And to thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.